0: Thank you, Cindy, Wayne, choir. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we, uh, we bow our knee, our hearts before you right now, thanking you for the beautiful time of worship we've had already. And God, we pray as we look into your word that tonight you'll speak to our hearts. You'll, you'll change us, God, and we'll leave here different than when we came in. Make yourself known, God, to us in this time. We love you and praise your name. Amen. How many of you like blessings? Only sane and honest people, correct? Only sane and honest people. You like people benefiting you, correct? You like them saying nice things about you. You you like them honoring you, giving you gifts. We like that, correct? Uh, How many of you like that same philosophy when it comes to God towards you? Again, only sane and honest people. So if you are dishonest or you are not all here with us, then we understand. But we like being blessed. That's a great thing. And we're in 2 Samuel chapter 6. <laughs> if you were here a week ago on Sunday night, we started in this passage. We, uh, we're going to be in the middle of it tonight. And we're going to finish it next Sun- uh, this coming Sunday morning. This uh, very interesting story of David and the, the ark of God and somebody touching the ark and going on to eternity on the spot and all kinds of exciting things happen in about 23, 24 verses in this this chapter. But we're studying about the presence of God. We've been doing that. uh, It started in September on Sunday night. This is Sunday on Wednesday, so this counts. We're going to carry it to Sunday morning. Talking about God making himself known in our lives. God is everywhere. The Bible tells us that. But we also see in Scripture certain times when God shows up and makes himself known. And those are times when normally either tremendously bad things happen or tremendously good things happen. And it's something I think that we all want to experience and be a part of. Now, we touch on this. I just want to kick it off and say the presence of God is awesome. I mean, God is awesome. God's presence is awesome. When God makes himself known, it is awesome. In verses 1 and 2... But David, uh, again, brought together out of Israel, chosen men, 30,000 in all. How do you choose 30,000? I thought there 30,000 chosen men, but I guess someone did. Uh, he, he and all of his men set out from Bala to Judah to bring from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. Now in verse 5, David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with songs, with harps, with lairs, with tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. Now, quick refresher, remember the ark of God was representative of the literal presence of God in the midst of His people. Go back and read this week sometime. You get a chance in Exodus 25. It gives a description of what the ark looked like. It it had to be just the most fabulous thing that you can imagine. Gold on the outside, gold on the inside. Beautiful, uh, beautiful work was put into it. And special things from Israel's history were inside of the ark. And again, the ark represented... Where God was, it was to be in a very special place later on in the temple, a special place in the tabernacle, and it it had kind of fallen away from the centerpiece and the life of Israel. You remember a guy named Eli? Eli was a priest when Samuel was a boy, and Eli was was a good guy in many ways, but he was a bad father. And the ark was captured at the end of his life. And I kind of made a joke out of this a week ago. It's kind of funny. It says that he was real fat and he was sitting in his chair. And when he heard that the ark was captured, he fell backwards and broke his neck. And again, I said, that's not what you want in your obituary. I don't want fat preacher falls out of chair, breaks his neck. That would be, you know, you just don't want to go down that way, especially in the Bible. I mean, that's forever, isn't it? When, when, it, when it makes it in there. But the ark was taken by the Philistines. We're going to look more at that in, in a moment, and it didn't go well for them. And But in the meantime, it, it never gets back, really, to the centerpiece in the life of Israel. For whatever reason, King Saul, who had a lot of issues, did not make it a priority. And for 60 or 70 years, we're not sure exactly, but the ark was away from its rightful place in the center of the spiritual, political, every bit of the life of the Jewish people. And King David says it's time that the ark comes back to Jerusalem and it is put in the centerpiece of, of who we are as a people. In a tremendous celebration. We're going to look at the celebration. The other, th- This celebration ends very tragically. Uh, but they, they have another celebration later on in this chapter that's wonderful. We're going to look at that Sunday morning. But you know what, when, when you're in the presence of God, and we're always in the presence of God, it would change your life if you and I meditated on that and reflected on that regularly that we are in the presence of God, God lives in us, God is beside us. By the way, the scriptures say, don't, don't say that God indwells. Plates are light bulbs. God indwells people, doesn't he? His people. And if we would live in the fact that God is in us and God is beside us, it would be transforming. But there's times when God shows up in a special way. When the ark was there, God was there in a special way. And the people were just celebrating their hearts out. You remember one of the first prayers that you probably learned. You remember this? Say it with me before you ate. God is good. And God is great. And you know what? Theologically, that is such a wonderful and a deep, even though it sounds so simple, prayer, because God is good. God is good from the very core of his being. There's not anything unholy, mean, impure in God. He is good from the inside out, and God is great. He is the awesome creator of the universe who looks in this building tonight and sees you and loves you and me despite you and me. He loves us. That's great, isn't it? God's awesome. And when God shows up, it's an awesome thing. Now, we looked at this a little bit a week and a half ago if you were here, but we're going to touch on it again tonight. When God is not appreciated properly, there will be problems. When the presence of God, when the ways of God are not appreciated properly properly, There's going to be problems. Now, again, this is easy to say. When when someone's taking God's name in vain, someone is denying the presence of God, denies the existence of God, blasphemes God, slanders His name, you expect God to show up with a lightning bolt, correct? I mean, you do. Problems are going to happen. They may not happen overnight, but they're going to. But what's more disturbing about this story, this is a, a Christian story. This is about God's people not appreciating and respecting the presence of him and it going poorly. In verses 3 through 8, they set the ark of God on a new cart. This was a bad mistake, but it sure sounded good, didn't it? A new cart. And they brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ohio was walking in front of it. And David and the whole house of Israel, they were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs, harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, cymbals. Wayne, wouldn't that have been a difficult group to try to control? When they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Yuza reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. Doesn't that sound like a, a reasonable thing to do? The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark. And David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And he named this place Perez, which means break out against Uzzah. God broke out against Uzzah. Now... You remember what happened? You read this story, and, and you go, "My goodness, God is really mean, isn't He? I mean, God, they're trying to do a good thing, and God just zaps this guy." Everything about what they were trying to do, they were upside down, except their motives were good. Now listen, this is important. Their motives were good. They were singing, they were celebrating, they were praising God. There were probably preachers on the side preaching as they were walking along. You know how we'd get? We'd get excited. We'd begin to preach. We'd begin to proclaim. But David, for some reason, had not sought God about this. He didn't get God's permission. I I believe, no doubt, it would have been God's will for this to happen. It may not have been the time. They didn't obey God. Listen, you go back and you look in Leviticus and Numbers, there were specific instructions on how the ark was to be transferred, not in a cart by animals, but by living people who happened to be priests who were Levites. And they carried the ark by the poles that were supposed to be in the ark, that, that there was actually rings built into the ark for the poles. That's how this was supposed to have been done. Not by an oxen cart, not by well-intended good men who weren't priests, but a specific thing in a specific way, and you absolutely did not touch the ark. You didn't look in it, or you didn't touch it. You just touched it. David's leader, he got them, in my opinion, off on the wrong foot because they were upside down to begin with. And you know what? Here's what's so uncomfortable about this. Their intentions were great. Their heart was good. They were praising God. They were singing. They were doing all the right sincere things with good intentions, but they were disobedient in what they were doing. Oh, minor disobedience, you know, the white lie, the subtle thing. Oh, God doesn't. God doesn't really care how we do this. Oh, we don't need to take time really seeking God because this is good. How many of y'all are guilty of ever doing that? Why, God's got to be in this because I want to do it and I'm going to make money. Now, we don't say that around church, but we say those. God's got to be in This is good. This is positive. Just a quick warning and reminder for us as individuals, as in a church you and I can't disrespect God in the presence of God. You can't do it in the flagrant ways, but when we do it in the ways that are more subtle, why, God, we're sincere. How many people died today and went to hell who were sincere? A bunch. How many churches are dying today, but they're sincere? In First Chronicles 13, verse 3, the same story is told, by the way, in First Chronicles 13, 14, and 15. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. Do you see some sadness there? Saul had at his disposal the ark of God, the literal representative presence of God, but he never tapped into it during his whole reign. David was going about it the wrong way, but he was, he was trying to do the right thing, at least. The reign of Saul ended horribly. It was a dead time, an ineffective time. Not because on the front end, Saul was an evil guy. He ended up doing some really bad things. Saul's whole thing was just not obeying here, not obeying there, just the subtle things with good intentions. I want to just remind us as a church and as Christians that we can't do it on our terms. We, we, can't, we can't make up the rules or adjust God's rules. I don't know much about a violin. If you are a redneck, it's called a what? A fiddle. I always thought those were two different animals, but they are not. They are the same thing, a fiddle and a violin. Wayne calls it a violin. Brandon calls it a fiddle. Now, you can figure out the difference there, right? Me too, I'm a fiddle guy. Wayne, if you have a loose string, that's not going to be good, is it? But, I mean, even just one loose string, just loose some, it's not going to be good, is it? It's going to mess up the sound, isn't it? And and if they're playing with other people, it's going to mess them all up, isn't it? You see, when we, we translate that to our lives, everything else is in line. I'm just kind of doing what I want here. Well, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do everything right, but I need to expedite the process and kind of bypass obedience in this area. And we disrespect God and the presence of God, and we always pay for it. Fruitless Christians and fruitless churches... Ineffective Christians and ineffective churches 99% of the time are not because there's outward immorality and just blatant liberalism. It's because the church and the people are in our lives individually. We just don't have all the strings tight. Now, here's a wonderful thing. The flip side of this. When God is appreciated properly... The blessings abound. This is, and Sunday morning is beautiful too, but but this is such a great part of this story. David was afraid of the Lord that day. Do you blame David? The deacon gets zapped tonight because they handled something wrong down here. We're going to be upset, aren't we? Hopefully. How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Probably this was all taking place about 10 miles southwest of Jerusalem in the mountains. And come on in, young people. We're going to pass the offering plate now y'all are here to help with the offering this month. Who was this Obed-Edom? Look at me. Focus, focus. (laughs) Who was this Obed-Edom? Well, it, it says a Gittite, which normally would mean it was someone from the Philistine country, from the city of Gath. And that it's possible David met him when he was interacting with the Philistines, and this was one of his soldiers. But it's also very possible this guy was a Levite, a priest, because in the story in 1 Chronicles, it tells about a Obed-Edom who helps with the ark in the process. But the bottom line and the neat thing is it doesn't matter who this guy was because the Bible says that God blessed him. Look in verse 11 with me if you would, or on the screens. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. What does that biblical word blessed mean? It it means to, to be praised. It, it means to kneel down before. It means to honor or to bless someone. Now, obviously, God wasn't kneeling down before Obed. But now, listen... Folks, listen what this is saying, that God honored this man, that God praised this man, that God blessed this man, and not only did he honor and bless him, he honored and blessed his entire household. What did he do to deserve the blessing? Now, this is real important. What does the Bible say, and you're looking at it in verse 11, that he did to receive the blessing? You know what it says? Absolutely nothing. And that's the point I'm going to try to help us understand. It says nothing. Now, isn't it interesting, earlier on in the Scriptures, the people were singing and praising God and they were playing all kinds of instruments. David was even dancing a little bit. He's going to throw down on Sunday morning, but he was... You know, they were getting excited. They were doing what they thought was a wonderful thing, and it all was wrong, and it all ended horribly. You ever thought about that? They're having a praise time, a praise meeting, a celebration of the presence of God, and God was not in it. In fact, when God manifested himself, somebody punched out right on the spot. It's funny now, it wasn't to use it at the time. I wonder if he had time to think, I didn't just do that. Boom. But here's this guy... Obed, Edom, that we know very, very little about. Philistine, maybe. A priest, possibly. But the Bible says the presence of God was in his property, and for three months, God blessed him and get every part of his household. What does God bless, Folks. Or maybe it would be better to go back and say, what does God not bless? God doesn't bless disobedience, does He? God doesn't bless religiously pious people doing it their way, not His way. God does not bless good intentions with disobedience mixed in the middle of it. God does not bless the best preaching, the best singing, the best music when things aren't done the way he said they should be done. It's not like there's a smell and we can spray over it with God. I'm going to tell you, there was a smell the day Uzziah died. What did this man do to receive the blessing? You ought to be extremely curious because I think you and I want the blessing. Let me tell you what we know for sure. Is this had to be a guy whose heart was right with God? You say, well, if the ark was there, wouldn't he be blessed anyway? Absolutely not. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 5 when the the Philistines had the ark for a little while and it was in their presence. He roughed up their their false God two or three times, and and then the people began to have all kinds of problems. Listen, when God shows up and things aren't right, it's not going to be good. It's not just because the ark was there that things went well. They didn't go well for Uzzah and David and them. They left very broken. But I want to tell you why God blessed this man. It had to do with his heart. What did he do during those three months? I can tell you what he didn't do. He wasn't disobedient to God. He didn't disrespect God in the presence of God. He didn't treat people like dirt and praise God with the other hand. I bet they went out and they sat and they looked at the ark for hours on end. I bet they sat there and they sang whether they could sing or not. I bet they prayed. But I know this for sure, that whatever they were doing, before they were doing anything, the being was right. You see, folks, we live in a culture, a religious culture, that we are so driven by what we are supposed to do that we're missing what we're supposed to be. Do you get that? And and folks, listen, the Bible says we're saved by faith, but faith is is proved by what you do. Works are important, but works never substitute for who you are. Lost people can do good works for a while, but eventually their lostness comes out. You've, You've known people who were mean but did helpful things, the mean doesn't offset the, the helpful. The, they don't offset each other. As simple as this may sound, it's probably one of the most important things we can get a hold of. God bless this guy not for anything it says that he did. It had to be because who he was. What about you and me? What's going on on the inside of us this evening? Psalms 37.4. Read that aloud with me. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know what that's saying? That's saying fall head over heels in love with God. Yeah, you ought to serve him. Serving ought to be a fruit. Yeah, you ought to help other people. My goodness, that ought to be a fruit. But God says, fall in love with me. When you fall in love with me, you will be and do the right kind of stuff. Psalms 46.10. Run around, get involved as much as you can, stay as busy as you can from the time you get up to the time you go to bed and know that I'm God. (laughs) Read this aloud with me. Be still. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. How many of us are still enough to hear God? I want to read to you something Eugene Peterson, a a great minister and the guy that translated the the Bible, the message. Listen to what he says. Two commands direct us from the small-minded world that we live in today in our philosophies. First, God says, come and behold the works of the Lord. Don't you know that Obed-Edom sat and beheld what God had in front of him? Take a long, scrutinizing look at what God is doing. This requires patient attentiveness and energetic concentration. How many of us can just focus the next 15 minutes? Everybody else is noisier than God. You agree with that? The headlines, the neon lights, and amplifying systems of the world announce human works. But what of God's works? They are unadvertised but also inescapable if we simply look. They're everywhere. They are marvelous. But God has no public relations department. He mounts no publicity campaign to get our attention. God simply invites you and me to stop and look and see who He is. The second command is be still and know that I am God. Be quiet. Quit rushing through the streets long enough to become aware that there's more to life than our little self-centered enterprises. When we are noisy and when we are hurried, we are incapable of intimacy, deep and complex personal and spiritual relations. If God is the living center of redemption, it is essential that we be in touch with and respond to Him on His terms. If God has a will for this world, which He does, and we want to be in on it, we must be still long enough to find out what it is. Baron Von Hugel, whoever that is, said that nothing was ever accomplished in a stampede. <laughs> I would disagree with that. That There's probably a lot of bad happened in a stampede. But you get the gist of what Peterson and Baron Von Bugel Hugel was saying there. That God's found in the still small voice. And some of us wonder, why are we missing God? Why are we missing the blessings of God in our life? Christianity Today last year had an article where they would surveyed Christians, people who received that magazine. Here's what they deducted, that the average Christian spends nine minutes a day seeking God and the things of God. And by the way, that includes Sunday. Think about that. Throw out Sunday, that's about a minute a day maybe. We wonder why we're not hearing God or finding the blessings of God in our life. In John 15, Jesus said some very powerful words. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Never can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Let's look at verse 5. I am the vine... You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? You can do nothing. You know, to to abide or to remain, that's not about doing, is it? That's about connecting. And that's about staying connected. Connected. You notice it said in that verse about Obed, Edom, that God blessed him and his entire household. Folks, blessing and curses always spread out. You wonder, what are the blessings? Obviously, there was blessings had to be recognized, we'll see in a moment, by the people of this day and age. But some scholars believe, as they did research, that the blessings were he had a huge family. Many kids, many grandkids, many great-grandkids, which is very important in this day and age. So I would tell you one thing, the blessings of God sometimes don't come overnight, do they? Neither do the curses of God. But when the person finds God and stays close to God and obedient to God, they will come. God's very clear on that. And I want to ask you and I this evening, do we long... For God's blessings. I want to challenge you. To long for God. And his blessings. Verse 12. Is an intriguing verse. Verse 12. Now King David was told. The Lord has blessed the household. Of Obed-Edom. And everything he has. Because of God's presence there. So David went down. And and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. You you know, I I call that good jealousy. (laughs) Bad jealousy would be he would have Obed-Edom whack (laughs) or he'd sneak in there night and steal the ark just for himself. That's not what he did. But David looked and he said, I want what that man has. I want it for me. And I want it for all my people. How many of us long to see God make himself known in our lives? How many of us long to see God make himself known right here in our church? I can tell you, if we don't want it to happen, it won't. Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He's not going to kick his way through that door are through the door in your heart. And it won't happen by accident. It won't happen on your terms and my terms. It'll happen when we surrender ourselves to God and like old Betty Eden, we're just the right kind of people from the inside out. Do we really want it? There's a lady in, in South Florida named Noreen and her, her story made the headlines in several... Miami-area newspapers in 2007, her electricity had got knocked out in a hurricane. And she had gone a while without electricity. The power was knocked out all in that area when the hurricane hit South Florida. And when they began to do repairs on her house, she ran out of money and was not able to have things completed, so she never had any power put back on she took cold baths. She said, well, you get used to it. In the, in the winter in South Florida, which wouldn't be long, but there are times when it would get cold, she just had to put blankets on. In the summer, you know how hot it would be in the Miami area and humid. She just had to live with it and deal with it. At night time, she just lit a candle. She didn't get to watch TV or listen to the radio anymore. She said, you just learn to live with it. She had a little burner that she would light a fire under to cook her food. And the thing that's very interesting about all this, it didn't happen when Katrina went through in 2005. It happened when Hurricane Andrew hit in 1992. She went 15 years living like that. Her clueless neighbors did not even notice. Finally, when the mayor of her community found out about her plight, they paid the money and within just a few hours had the power back on. She said, what an amazing thing it was to take a hot bath again. One of the things that stuck out to me about that story was not only how long she went without power, but she said, you know, you just get used to living without the power. How many of us tonight have just gotten used To living without the power of God. How many youth groups, how many churches have just gotten used to it? So we just organize better and we plan better and we recruit better. And we've just gotten used to not living with the power of God. Someone said that so many Christians in so many churches have lived at subnormal so long that to them, subnormal is normal, and anybody or any church that's normal is abnormal. Did you get that? I can't repeat it. You see, God has so much more for you and me and for our church. Jeremiah 29, 13, God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I want to challenge you tonight. If you're not a Christian, you come and give your life to Christ in just a moment. Maybe you'd like to join our church tonight. We would love for you to do that. Maybe you're here tonight as a Christian and God has spoken to your heart and you're tired of living way below where God has for you. Maybe you want more for your life. Maybe you want more for our church or your church if you go to another church. Christian, I challenge you, where you're standing or at the altar, let's say to God, God, show up. We're going to be right. We're going to be the right kind of vessels so you can make yourself known. Let's stand. As God leads you, you respond to him.